Good morning and welcome back to A Sweet Sunrise Podcast. I'm your host, Callie Dane, and welcome back to our book club and wellness journey discussion. If you're new, hi, I'm Callie. I just graduated with my English degree from the University of Florida in December, and I decided to start a podcast all about books and my favorite modern reads. So welcome to your first Tuesday morning brunch with me. Every week, we get together to talk about books and wellness tips in a safe space. You can follow along on TikTok and Instagram. Our podcast has an Instagram and where I share a lot about books. I create polls and I just kind of ask what you guys like to hear. I am really excited to talk about this week's pick because, as I said on Instagram, this is the first 10 out of 10 book I'm bringing to the podcast. So, spoiler alert, you all already know my rating. Today, we will be discussing Delia Owen's novel, Where the Crawdads Sing, which we will get into shortly. I know this episode will be released on Valentine's Day, so I hope you all get to spend some time with your loved ones and eat some candy while cuddling up to a rom-com. I know Dusty and I will be today. We have our rom-coms all picked out. We both really like Matthew McConaughey, so we will be watching How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and Failure to Launch. They're both amazing classics that you absolutely need to experience if you haven't already for whatever reason. I'm really ready to just sip on some champagne, make our mini pizzas, and watch some rom-coms together. This week, I also start my new job, and I'm beyond excited and also nervous. I don't want to mess anything up. I know a lot of people are probably reaching similar points in life, whether it be college, high school, or in your career. So I wanted to spend a bit of today's episode talking about some ways to ease into transition periods and embrace change. As far as other life updates go, I had such a great time with friends last night watching the Super Bowl. Rihanna was an absolute vision and I'm so happy for her. We had so much food and drinks and it was really a blast. Um, All the people from Dusty's work came over basically and it was just super fun. There was even a little queso making competition which Dusty's boss won hands down. She made this like white queso that had sour cream in it and it was was so good. I loved it. In other news, I had an absolutely shocking encounter with two men while walking the dogs yesterday. So I was walking both dogs. I usually walk them both in one hand and I was going around the lake by our apartment complex and these two guys are walking towards me like the opposite way and one of them's carrying a basketball and they come up to me and the guy holding the basketball says excuse me ma'am and I was like yeah and he said are you familiar with BDSM and I just kind of like was shocked and was like uh yeah and then he said would you like to wear my collar And I just said, no, 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 and then started walking away. Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Of all the things that could have come out of this guy's mouth, I thought he was going to ask me for directions. Like, ma'am, where's the basketball court? No, would you like to wear my collar? I cannot believe that happened to me. I cannot believe that experience happened to me yesterday. It was insane. Like, at what point did people just start approaching other people on the streets? Like, take to the streets and just start asking random people that. I like stick to your online chat rooms or whatever you do like no judgment to what you do like in your own time but do not come up to me on the street and ask me something like that I was so beyond disturbed I had to call Dusty and have him stay on the phone with me until I like got home and locked my door it was shocking like I don't know like I was so expecting him to like ask me for directions and then that comes out of his mouth god (laughs) 
Anyway, in other news, my parents are moving this week, so I had to say goodbye to my house a few days ago, which was sad. I don't see my parents super often anyway right now because I live about three hours away. I live in Gainesville and they live in Sarasota. Well, they're moving from Sarasota. But it's still going to be really weird not even having them in the same state anymore. I don't think I fully comprehended that I was never going to see that house again until I was pulling out of the driveway and that was hard. So their move along with some other things inspired me to talk about coping with embracing, coping with and embracing change in this week's episode. I am very much a creature of habit, and while I do enjoy vacations and some other more spontaneous things, I definitely thrive off routine. That's when I'm most productive, and that's when I feel most comfortable, and I can really feel it when my routine is disrupted, but over the years, I've learned some things that make that feeling a little bit easier on me, so let's get into it. My first piece of advice when it comes to change is tell yourself that you control the narrative. No one else is in control of your life but you. Have a quick mental check-in with you and make sure this event or change is something you see that is best for you in the long run. For example, if you're thinking about moving to a new state, make sure that move aligns with your goals. What are the career opportunities there? Will you have connections nearby, friends and family? Would this be a good place to start a family if that's what you want? And really the most important question you can ask yourself when feeling uneasy about change like this is, Am I scared because I really don't want to do this, or am I just scared of change and building a new routine a little outside my comfort zone? Answering these questions will really help you envision this change within your long-term plans and your goals and help you figure out your true feelings, like how do I really feel about this major life event? That being said, there are many changes that can come into your life which are out of your control. And I fully acknowledge that. We don't have control over everything, but like I said, you do have control over your own narrative. You control what you do, how you respond to it. But like, for example, maybe your best friend is moving away and you have to figure out new ways of seeing them. Or maybe you've just been broken up with. In cases like these, ask yourself, how can I make the best out of this situation? How can I make this situation serve me and the others around me? Maybe you won't see your friend as often, but when you do, it will be so much more special because you both have been looking forward to it for so long and you've made plans and you're excited. And if you've just been dumped, maybe you're entering your single girl era, realizing your worth and taking some time to focus on you. Change may be hard, but there's also almost always something good that can come out of a new situation. Number two on my list of learning to embrace change is to take it one day at a time. Transition periods can be usually be really disorienting and it can be hard to find your footing in that period and it's gonna make for some really tough days. If one or several days in a row after a change feel challenging and just really exhausting, don't give up because it's only the beginning. You have to keep pushing before you can see the light at the end of the tunnel really. When you know a change is coming, prepare yourself and accept that there are hard days on the horizon, but know that that's okay because you're capable of overcoming them. Last on my list is acknowledging that change is necessary. It's absolutely necessary to life. Planned or not, life changes are major learning experiences for everyone, and without it, you would never be able to grow. You would stay the same person you just always were. 
life lessons can really be learned through change and new experiences. Maybe your new job is really tough, but figuring things out and putting in your time will help you achieve your goals. Or maybe you're moving away from home for the first time, entering college and learning new life lessons every day, how to cook, do your laundry. I've been there, done that. It's hard. (laughs) Um, Overall, change will help you discover emotions, skills, and relationships you didn't even know you were capable of. I'm going to be trying really hard to channel all of these ideas in the coming months. This week, my parents are moving to Michigan, leaving Florida behind, and soon Dusty and I will probably make our move to Orlando so that he can be closer to school. I'm really proud of him for getting into UCF, University of Central Florida, for all the nights out there. Charge on, I think it is. I'll always be a Gator at heart, but I am excited to experience a different college town for a little while. Uh, We really are at that just at that age where things are going to be changing all the time and it's going to be a while until we can settle down somewhere and like even think about starting a family it's just that period of life where you're in college just graduated college and you're going to be moving apartments moving everywhere there's not really a lot that you can that you can have constant in your life it's just kind of going to be an ever-changing situation when you're this young you know early 20s career changes are a big thing. I'm starting my career. Dusty will be soon. It's going to be a lot. Um, But until we do settle down, we have some scary and amazing things to experience. And I'm ready and I'm grateful that we'll be able to do it together. So whatever life has to throw at us, we're going to get through it. (laughs) So now I want to shift gears and start talking about Delia Owen's masterpiece, Where the Crawdads Sing. You may already know that this book was recently adapted into a movie starring Daisy Edgar Jones. It also features a song written for the movie by Taylor Swift, which is called Carolina. I am obsessed with Taylor Swift. I have tickets to go see her this summer. So lucky I even got those tickets. Thank you, Mom and Victoria. I love you so much. I'm just counting down the days, honestly. I don't think there's anything in the world that would keep me from that concert, but... Anyway, I was really excited to hear that she was going to be involved in the movie, and I really do like the song, too. I really enjoyed the film. However, I don't think it does the book justice. It's not bad by any means. It's just wasn't quite as gripping as the book was. Like, I didn't finish it in one sitting, and it the way I was reading the book, like, I wanted to digest all the information I could unless, like, something was literally stopping me, but I just kind of, like, clicked off the movie for a little while and went to, like, watch a TV show, and then I was like, oh, yeah, I'll finish that movie. It wasn't quite as gripping, but it was really good. You know, film versions of a story that began as a book rarely do the book justice, but I was happy with the overall project. Reese Witherspoon was also a producer for the film, and it was really cool to see her talk about it in interviews, because really, who doesn't love Reese Witherspoon? But as I said, the book is better. Before we go any further, I'm going to give a trigger warning because this book does deal at times with scenes of alcoholism, child abuse, and domestic violence. If these are especially sensitive topics for you, I would encourage you to go back a few episodes and listen to my episode on A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson. This book does not touch on the same themes and would likely be a safer listen if you may be triggered by some of the themes in Delia Owen's book. Also, I'm going to give a spoiler alert because while I will not be revealing the ending, I am going to be discussing some major plot points. 
So let me dive into my own kind of version of the inside book sleeve summary. All right, here we go. Young Kaya Clark is abandoned by her family members one by one. First, her mother leaves, then her sisters, her brother, and finally her alcoholic father. With no education, few life skills, and no one else to turn to, Kaya lives alone in an old shack in the Carolina Marsh. As a child deeply connected to nature, Kaya makes friends out of the animals, tells time by the sun, and supports herself by sewing muscles she digs up before dawn. As the years pass, rumors spread about the Marsh Girl, saying that she is dirty, dangerous, and not to be spoken to. Besides a kind couple that buys her muscles for their store, Kaya's only other human friend becomes a young boy named Tate, whom she meets on the water. When they become teenagers, Tate teaches Kaya to read, which opens up a whole new door of possibility to her. They study the marsh together, finding the names of every creature, shell, and plant, and learning about their role in the marsh's ecosystem, both aspiring scientists. While becoming extremely educated young people, Kaya and Tate begin to realize their true feelings for one another and form a seemingly unbreakable bond built on trust, passion, and love. But when Tate leaves for college and Kaya remains alone in the marsh, he does not make an effort to contact her again. Several years later, later, after Kaya has become a published author, Tate returns home from school, and Kaya is put on trial for the murder of another man she became acquainted with in his absence. Chase Andrews was the most respected young man in the county, a star athlete in high school from a wealthy family that was destined for greatness. He sought Kaya out, and they began a romantic relationship that he kept separate from his well-to-do life in town. After the town found out that he had been seen with the Marsh Girl, things quickly turned sour, and Kaya even learned that he had a fiancé in town the entire time. When Chase is found dead at the bottom of an old lookout tower near the ocean, Kaya is arrested and charged with his murder. Did Chase commit suicide? Will the town be able to overcome their bias to judge her case? Will Kaya ever forgive Tate for deserting her? You'll have to read the book to find out. Okay, I've talked a lot about cliche writing in the past few episodes. It definitely was present in A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, even though I'm a big fan of that book, and it ends with us, which I'm not as much of a fan of, but cliche writing in the sense that some things were a little ridiculous, and it kind of sounded like any other modern book that you'd pick up it's just it was very cliche but let me tell you i was so relieved to find a unique voice in this book delia owens is truly a master and that her descriptive writing really made me feel like i could see the marsh and was standing next to kaya the entire time the beach the town but the marsh especially everything was so vivid in the way she described it and it she just truly has a gift i also love the fact that the story is a period piece um, when she's a child, it's set in 1953. The dress and slang of the time is really cool to experience in the book. But that being said, the time comes with some extreme prejudices like widespread racism, classism, and sexism, which all play major roles in this story. So that in itself was very realistic. Really, my favorite part about this book is Kaya's strength as a woman, student, and survivor. Like, she's first a victim of child abuse. Then she fights back when a man tries to treat her the same way her father treated her mother. She, so, she showed Chase Andrews absolutely no mercy when he tried to force himself on her sometime before his death. 
as a character that endured so much pain, it was hauntingly beautiful to be able to see inside her mind and through her eyes. The marsh was so important to her life, and she feels such a dedication to it that she never moves away, even after earning money from her published books, even after becoming an older woman. I mean, this book follows her pretty much from the moment she can remember things as a child until the end of her life. She stays in the marsh the entire time, and if that's not dedication, I really don't know what that is. But in times of heartache, helplessness, and even happiness, Kaya finds comfort and solace in the nature that exists at her fingertips. I found this connection so moving because the marsh is truly the only constant that exists all throughout her life, from birth to death, that's where she is. This book was, as pains you to admit, but this book was recommended to me a lot, but it took me so long to actually pick it up. I don't know why, I really don't. I ended up reading it over the summer, and once I started, I could not put it down. It was not what I thought it was going to be. It was not what I expected at all. For some reason, I thought it was going to be boring. I really don't know why, don't ask, but it took me by surprise and reeled me in so fast. So fast. I found myself savoring the moments between Tate and Kaya because they were so innocent and because he looked out for her even when they were children. He was such a safe place for her and as a character that really valued and really needed safety, it was so heartbreaking when he doesn't come back to her like he promised he would. In his absence, watching her search for this safety in the arms of a man that really didn't know her value was infuriating. Um, and also the scenes while she's, after she's been arrested, when she's in prison, just locked away from the marsh that she's known her entire life. She's yearning for it. There's beauty in that. She refuses to admit any kind of guilt throughout the entire book. She maintains her innocence. She sticks true to herself. And she wants to prove that she is not the woman people think she is. She is not this dangerous, dirty marsh girl that is so uneducated None of the people in the town even realize that she sells these books, that she writes these scientific journals, basically. And it's just really about defying expectations. This book is really a coming-of-age murder mystery with a hint of romance. <laughs> My kind of book, exactly. It goes back and forth between Kaya during her years growing up in the marsh and her time on trial after Chase's death. So it goes back and forth like not chapter by chapter necessarily but like I really enjoyed this back and forth because it told the story from more than one perspective and allowed readers to see the context to events described in the trial right away if I remember correctly it opens when um, these two boys find Chase's body and so that kind of like sets the tone for the whole movie not movie book if I'm remembering right and then it goes to Kaya when she's very young and like her family is still there but anyway the social class prejudice in this book is also super realistic but also really disturbing Kaya was so poor living alone as a child that she couldn't even afford shoes and left school because of endless bullying and her lack of education she couldn't read. No one in her family taught her to read. She didn't learn to until Tate came as a teenager and showed her how. So she never ended up going to any kind of school, and it was because of the way others treated her. From child to adult, everyone in town saw Kaya as worthless, which is heartbreaking to hear someone call a child that who has lost everything. 
to them, everything was her own fault. And this is why the fact that she's about to be judged by a jury of her peers from that same town is terrifying. She has a defense attorney that uh, is taking on her case pro bono, if I'm remembering correctly, and he wants his main goal is to make them realize that she is not this monster that the town makes her out to be. She is a living, breathing woman. She's so educated and she's not a cold-blooded killer. Not at all. She, he makes it clear that there is really no evidence against her other than the fact that she was involved romantically with Chase. The case was built on bias. Like, if I was a juror in this case, there would be no way that they could prove beyond a reasonable doubt that she did this. It was just, like, it was an open and shut case, like, evidence-wise, but because the jury is made up of the peers of that town, it's so terrifying because you don't know if they're just going to act on their prejudice. But (laughs) that being said, it is just kind of terrifying to think that she was a victim of domestic violence at the hand of Chase Andrews, and they still think that he's this, you know, stand-up guy that should never have lost his life and was murdered by this, you know, gross little marsh girl, because that's really not seeing things through a clear lens. It's not. And the last thing I want to mention about this book is the ending. It gave me literal chills. I wanted to go on reading. I really didn't want it to be over. But now I realize that the ending is perfect, and I'm really glad that the movie stayed true to it. I was going to be so pissed. You guys don't even know. I was going to be so pissed if the movie changed the ending because it's just, it's, it's amazing. I don't want to say anymore because I'm going to ruin it. <laughs> Victoria wrote into the podcast and said that this book is about being a survivor. Survive no matter what. This is so true. From the point where she's like six years old and her dad leaves her, she starts surviving just on everything she ever, she's ever known. She starts making grits. It's the only thing she knows how to make. She can go to the store. She doesn't really know how to count money at first, but they show her. And she has no other way of supporting herself after she runs out of her dad's money after he leaves. She goes and starts digging up muscles at dawn and asks, hey, will you buy these? It's just truly a story about resilience from the beginning to the end because from the beginning she is surviving just literally on the food and the earth that is around her and then she is surviving later because she's accused of this violent crime and seen as this monster when the town wants to uphold the respect that they have for this you know high school athlete was an athlete in high school But yeah, and Victoria also said that she loved the book and how the story was told. I do, sometimes when books go back and forth between different times, like I think it's like maybe even 10 years, a little more than that, 16 years, whatever. I think it was from 1953 to 1969, to be honest. I think that's what it is. But a lot of the times it annoys me when books do this because I get really stuck and invested in the one time and then the other time is usually less interesting. But I didn't find that with this because both were equally interesting. On one hand, you have a literal murder case that they're investigating and she's on trial and you really feel like she didn't do it and like they got it wrong and there's no evidence there's literally no evidence and then you go back and she's a child and she's trying to do all these things and she's meeting Tate and he's leaving her gifts and it was both equally interesting I was never bored never 
and it wasn't that I was favoring one timeline over the other. I really wasn't. Um, oh, let's see. So I completely agree, Victoria. This is a story about resilience and defying expectations. She is not what the town thought she was. You guys already know my rating for this book, but I'm going to say it again. For me, Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens is a 10 out of 10. If you have not read it, this is your sign to go out and get yourself a copy. You will not regret it. Trust me. And that is all for today's podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. As always, there is a link in the show notes for a Google form with questions about each week's pick so you can share your hot take because I would love to share them. I've loved sharing them the past two episodes, so thank you if you wrote in. So feel free to write in and spread the word about it. As usual, you can follow me on TikTok for more at CallieXDane and the pod on Instagram at a sweet sunrise underscore pod. Happy reading, everyone, and I will see you next Tuesday for brunch.